0: Welcome to this week's Parsha Shir, Parshat Vayigash. And this week's Parsha Shir is sponsored by Howie and Shirin Fialkov. It's in memory of Howie's father, Joe Fialkov, Yosef Zalman bin Chaim, Zechon Levrocha. His yacht site is actually today, it's the 8th of Teves. And we wish him uh, that the Neshama should have an Aliyah, we should be to see Techias HaMesim. Parsha Vayigash is a fascinating Parsha. Um, the story continues, the dramatic uh, reintroduction of Yosef to his brothers after a separation of 22 years. And there they are together again, reunited, and he sends for his father. And the message comes back to Yaakov Avinu, and he comes down to Egypt after, of course, consulting with God, and he arrives in Egypt. It's now chapter Memzayn, chapter 47 towards right at the end of Bereshis and towards the end of the Parsha of Vayigash. And it's an interesting moment because the brothers and their family settle in Goshen. But before that happens, what uh, Yosef does is he introduces his beloved father to his boss. Who's his boss? His boss is Pharaoh, Pharaoh. And he introduces his father, who I would say is the spiritual giant of the generation. He introduces him to Pharaoh, who was the leader of the world. He was the most powerful man on the planet at that time. He was the king of Egypt. So it's an incredible moment, as it were, the meeting of the greatest spiritual being on earth with the greatest and most powerful, uh, in a material sense, person on earth, and it's described in all of four Pesukim. We don't have a long monograph to describe this momentous meeting, we just have four Psukim and we have the record of one very simple exchange between Paroi and Yaakov. I'm going to read it to you from the Parsha. It's in Bereshis, Perek Mem Zayin, begins as follows, Va Es Yakov Oviv, vayamideu lifnei Pharaoh, Yosef brought Yaakov to Pharaoh, Jacob to Pharaoh, and he stood him before Pharaoh. Vayevorech Yaakov es faro, es faro, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. what blessing? We don't know. That's not recorded. We're going to see that there's an interesting opinion as to what that means. El Pharaoh said to Jacob. How old are you? It's an interesting opening question, I think you'll, you'll admit. He's never met this man before. And the first thing he says to him, indeed, the only thing he says to him is, How old are you? And Yaakov, Jacob responds to Pharaoh's question as follows. Yemei shne megulai shloishim ume'as the days or years of my sojourn, as it were, on this world are hundred and thirty years. Maat and then he goes on. This is he's now not he's not answering the question. He's now adding to his answer information that is not particularly relevant to the question that Paray asked. What does he say? Maat They are few, and they are bad. That's the days of my life. The days of the years of my life are few, and they are pretty awful. I have not reached the age, as it were, of the lives of my fathers, my forebears, meaning Avraham and Yitzchak, presumably. That is the end of his answer. Too much information. That's not what he was asked. He was asked how old he was. We don't know why he was asked that. And then he should have said, I'm 130. In any event, the meeting, it would appear, at least from this record, is now over. is <inaudible> Jacob blessed Paray. <inaudible> Again, we're not told what the blessing is. milifnei <inaudible> Paray, And he left Pharaoh's presence. That is the entire record that we have in the Torah of this unusual encounter Between Yaakov Avinu, our patriarch Jacob, and Pharaoh, the king, the ruler of Egypt, Joseph's boss. So now we need to understand what exactly was going on here. And we need to really appreciate why the Torah would feel the need to include this information when telling us the story of the arrival of the nascent Jewish nation, not yet a nation, still a family, still a bunch of tribes when they arrived in Egypt, why we need to know this particular anecdote, this vignette of Jacob meeting Pharaoh. So let's look first at the ur The Urachaim um, he speaks to one particular word at the beginning of the description of this encounter. What's the word? We glossed over it earlier. Joseph takes his father, his elderly father, and he stands him before Pare. What, what What's going on here? Why does he need to stand him before Pharaoh? What exactly is the necessity, the requirement for him to place Yaakov Avinu in a particular um, location, or even to stand him up? Was he in a wheelchair that he needed to uh, lift him up so he was standing? What's going on here? So some of them the Ma'orim say, I've not quoted that in my source sheet. By the way, the source sheet is available. Uh, on the Zoom. If you're watching the Zoom, it's in the comment section of the Zoom. Or if you prefer, you can, and you're watching it on YouTube, you can see it as a comment on the YouTube video. On SoundCloud, it's a comment on the SoundCloud audio. If you're on my website, it's there underneath the description. You can click on that and you'll have available to you the full source sheet for this particular share. So one of the answers that is given to this strange word, by is that the requirement for anyone coming in front of Pharaoh was that they need to, to prostrate themselves onto the floor. They need to bow down flat on the ground. And Yaakov did not do that. He stood in front of Pharaoh. It was a special dispensation that was granted to him as a result of the fact that he was Joseph's aged father. And perhaps this is what prompted the question, how old are you? Because clearly Yaakov was much older then Paroi and perhaps as a mark of respect he wasn't required or expected to bow down and therefore it was an appropriate first question for Pharaoh to ask Jacob how old are you in other words let me get some sense of who it is that's in front of me who's been excused from having to bow down so that's one answer, but we're going to leave that aside for the moment. Let's look at the answers that the Ur gives with regard to the word Vayamidehu. Three separate answers. He says as follows. Look at the Hebrew, but I'm going to read the English. If you want to see the original Hebrew, it's right there in your source sheet. Vayamidehu Lifne Farai, The reason that the Torah chooses the word Vayamidehu, says the Ur Maybe because Yosef placed Jacob in the place where he himself would normally stand when he has an audience with Pharaoh. That means he stood him up in his place. He showed deference to his father. This is another example of the great respect that Yosef had for Yaakov, his father, that instead of him standing in his normal place next to, adjacent to, close to Paroi, he put his father in that particular place. You know, there is a custom that when your father visits you in your home, eats a meal with you in your home, and you are um, ordinarily seated at the head of the table, you would put your father, and many people also would put their Rebbe at the head of the table as a mark of deference to their father, to their Rebbe, to show that even though in this house I am the leader, but when you are here... I take second place, and you become the leader. And that, perhaps, is derived from this very interesting um, word, "Vayamidehu." Dehu, that Yosef HaTzadik recon- recognized the greatness of his father with a practical recognition by putting him in his own place. Instead of him being second to Pharaoh for that particular meeting, Vayamidehu, Dehu, Yosef placed his father in his own place. Um, says the Ur-Hachayim, this may have been an elevated spot <coughs> that was only lower than Pharaoh's throne. In other words, it was the highest place that any non Pharaoh could be. That was where Yosef ordinarily stood. Gives a reference point here, which is in uh, Perik Mem Aleph Posuk Mem. In any event, Yaakov was given incredible respect by Yosef and Uh, Of course, by implication, Paroi, that he was allowed to stand in this place. A second answer from the Orachim. It may also mean that he put Yaakov immediately opposite Pharaoh, so that his father could bless Pharaoh. So we saw that when he came in, Vayavorech, when he left Vayavorech, in order to give somebody a blessing, you need to be standing directly in front of that person. And therefore, um, Yosef wanting his father to bless Pharaoh, in other words, Pharaoh is his boss and we are all his guests here in Egypt and the fact that we are able to provide for our families is only because this mortal human being who is nonetheless the ruler of the most powerful nation on earth is allowing us to do so. Therefore, he wanted his father to bless him and in order to do so, who placed him directly in front of him, which is the normal position from which a person would bless another person. So that's a second explanation, which also adds an explanation as to why the words vayivarech appear twice in this very short, um, four psukim description of the encounter between Paroi and Yaakov. Finally, and this I'm going to focus a little bit on, it's a little bit of a rabbit hole. Uh, you know, we're going to meander and digress a little bit from the main topic of this she'er, but nevertheless, it's an interesting digression. It's an interesting diversion, and therefore we're going, to, we're going to run with it just for a little bit. He says as follows, that oid um, Yirtze he also, um, we have a tradition, he says, and it's based on a Gemara in Moyet a very odd Gemara, which we're going to quote in a moment, that Paroi was very short in stature, he was very, very short, and therefore he wanted to make sure that that Jacob of Venus stood right next to him because otherwise he would never have imagined that this was Pharaoh. He was such um, a nondescript person, not the type of person that one might have imagined was the most powerful human being on earth. And therefore, he put Yaakov, an old man, right next to Paroi, next to him, otherwise he wouldn't have thought that that was the person. I once heard a very interesting story, and I've not had it verified, but I've heard it from two or three sources. When I say verified, I didn't hear it from someone who was there, that um, immediately after the Lubavitcher Rebbe became the Rebbe of Chabad, of Lubavitch, in 1951, very soon afterwards, um, the Satmar Rebbe lost his daughter. And the Lubavitcher Rebbe went to the shiva, and he went to to the shiva with a man called Rabbi Chodakov, who had been the mazkir, the secretary of his father-in-law, Rabbi Yosef Hiltzok Schneerson, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe. And Rabbi Chodokov and the Lubavitcher Rebbe both walked into the shiva of the Satmah Rebbe and sat down, and somebody whispered into the Satmah Rebbe's ear, "Um, this is the Lubavitcher Rebbe. But he obviously didn't indicate as to who he was referring. And therefore, the Satmar Abba automatically assumed that the older, more distinguished-looking man, at least in his eyes, was the Lubavitcher Abba. And the younger-looking man was somebody who'd just come here to accompany the Lubavitcher Abba to the Shiva. And therefore, he addressed his first remarks to Rabbi Khodakov, imagining that he was the Lubavitcher Abba. as it turned out, it wasn't the Lubavitcher Rebbe. The Lubavitcher Rebbe was the Lubavitcher Rebbe. But people can make a mistake and it can be very embarrassing. And I, I don't know that the Satma became embarrassed by this situation. And I heard the story from two or three people who obviously had heard it. Was, it's a legendary story that the Satma who had never seen a photograph of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, didn't know what he looked like and therefore assumed that the person who had accompanied him was the Rebbe. There's also a very famous story about Alexei who was the wagon driver for the Balshemtov? And at one point he said to the Balshemtov, you're getting all this honor, but that's only because you're riding in the wagon. And if I were riding in the wagon and you were the person at the front who's whipping the horses, then perhaps they would give me the respect. Anyway, the Balshemtov said, you know what, you're absolutely right. Let's swap places. And the next town they came to, to he, it was a horse-drawn carriage, and there was somebody who was whipping the horses and who was uh, who was riding up front and there was somebody inside the carriage everybody flocked to the carriage and assumed that Alexei, the uh, wagon driver was in fact the Balshemtov and that Balshemtov who was riding the horses was simply a uh, wagon driver and they started talking to the Balshemtov in learning and one of them piped up and asked a question said um, to the Baal Shem Tov, do you know an answer to this difficult Torah question? And the Baal Shem Tov said, well, it wasn't really the Baal Shem Tov, it was Alexei. Alexei said, such a question you ask me, even my wagon driver can answer that question. Again, a situation where there is mistaken identity. Yosef Adzadik didn't want his father to embarrass himself and didn't want him because Parai was such a nondescript looking person to mistake him for someone else, and then go to another person in the room and assume that that person was Paray. Therefore, Vayami says the Orachayim, he placed Yaakov, Vinu, his father, directly next to Paray so that he should know exactly which one is Paray and address him correctly and not embarrass himself, not embarrass Paray, not embarrass Yosef, etc. Now let's run to the Gemorrah in Mayad Katen. The Gemorrah in Katen, it's source number three in the source sheet, the Amr Avital Safra. Avital Safra has already been quoted in the Gemara. He's now quoted again, um, Avital the Cipher. He's the scribe, and he said, Mishmei de Rav Papa. He said something in the name of Rav Papa. What did he say? Paroi Shehoyab Yimei Moshe. Paroi, who lived in the days of Moshe. He was Amma. Who ama 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 v'zeres? He was extremely short. He was only one cubit high. He was not uh, a very tall man. He was a midget, and his beard was very long. He had a very long beard. It was an amma long. It was a cubit long. It's ama v'zeres. This is a bit crude, but the Gemara says that his um, private part was an amma and a zeres long. And this very curious Gemara is meant to convey the idea that Paroi was not an ordinary-looking person. But by the way, we're not talking here about the Paroi in the days of Yosef. We're talking about Paroi in the days of Moshe Rabbeinu. It would seem that the assumption that the Urachim is making that the Paroi family, whoever they were, were extremely short in stature, and therefore, um, even though... The Paroi in the time of Moshe came several generations later. Nevertheless, he was also short in stature, which is why Yosef Atzadik was Amidehu Yaakov. He put Yaakov directly in front of him. Otherwise, he would not have recognized him as the king of Egypt. But now let's talk about this very curious um, uh, Agadata, as it were, in Meid Kotten, where Avital Safra says these very strange things about Paray, that he was an Amahai. Have you ever met someone who's an Amahai, would certainly go into the Guinness Book of World Records, I think, for being only one cubit high. A cubit is, is probably uh, only about 50 centimeters. It's it's uh, it's very very short. It's uh, 15 inches. I mean, how how would you how would you even think that somebody could be so short? And uh, the Ben Yohoi steps in and gives us, first of all, an explanation, a little bit more prosaic of the Gemara, and then gives us his opinion as to why this matters and why we, should, we would have had this tradition with regard to uh, Pharaoh's rather diminutive um, stature. Efsha says the Ben Yohoi Yodo, Al derecha noktu hachi orim gedoilois <laughs> v'tzureis It's not to be taken literally. And this is one of the many sources that we have in the Mephorashim to say that the Agaditas that we have in the Gemara should not be taken literally. When we describe things in these quite exaggerated terms, they're not meant to be thinking, you know, this is not something that is a... A precise science. There are messages here that are contained in the rather exaggerated definitions and descriptions contained in these agaditas. The Omer Rabeinu Zal Chazal tell us, and it's a Gemara in Chulin, Daf Tzadi base. Dibra Torah Loshen Guzma. The Torah spoke in occasionally in exaggerated language, in language which expanded on the truth. The Chachamim Loshen Guzma, and when the sages expounded on the Torah, they also spoke in Alosha and Guzma in exaggerated terminology. And there's a reason for that. Rather than Paray being as short as is described, he's described as being short in a very exaggerated way. He was so tiny, he was only like an Amahai. To tell you that he was much shorter than ordinary people. Ordinary people were, however, tall. They were were five foot ten, but he was very, very short. Obviously, it doesn't mean he was an amma. But in order to convey just how short he was in comparison with everybody else, the uh, the agadata here, uh, Avital Safra, in the name of Rappapa describes Pare as being only one amma high. Now, the fact is that much of what Chazal tell us is lost in translation. Because we assume that we know what Chazal are talking about simply because we understand the words. By the way, if you really wanted to appreciate that, just look at a piece of Zohar. You can translate the Zohar. Many people have translated Zohar, passages of Zohar. And we understand what the words mean. But just because you can actually understand what the words mean doesn't mean you understand the passage. Because there is meaning in the passage beyond the translation of the words. And the fact that... um, Hara is described as being one Amohai, may have a secret, secret meaning which has been lost over time. We simply don't recall why Chazal would have described him in this way. And simply speaking, all Chazal are telling us is that he was very, very short. And the fact that they use the word Amah to describe just how short he was is something um, whose meaning that we don't particularly understand. And now he adds a sociological point, maybe a psychological um, a point as well. He says, He says, I had this flash of inspiration as to why it's important to know that Paray was very short. Why we needed to know, why would Chazal bother telling us that um, he had these very strange measurements, that he was so short and so odd looking that he looked very, very strange. Why would we need to know that? Of what, possi- what possible benefit could we gain as people of faith knowing this particular piece of information about Pari? He says, do you know why? De yodua de kama, we know that short people, Malay Arma, are full of not the best characteristics on the planet. In other words, there is, and we, we call it, in modern um, psychological terminology, we call it the Napoleon syndrome. Napoleon was purported to be very short. He was five foot three, I think, and he um, went on to become this very narcissistic, um, uh, uh, terrible uh, uh, conqueror of nations, um, totally unreasonable. He was certainly somebody who instigated and was behind the deaths of tens, hundreds of thousands of people in many wars, the Napoleonic Wars, which are very famous. And many people say that this was because he had a complex. He had a chip on his shoulder about the fact that he was so short compared to all his marshals, his generals in the army who were all much taller than him, and he needed to prove himself. There is this element of people, perhaps, who have some deficiency that they need to prove themselves. And there's a lesson here from Chazal, that Parai, who was the ultimate dictator who is the ultimate mass murderer, as it turned out, in the time of Moshe, was a very short, odd, strange-looking man, and clearly that had a psychological effect on the way he behaved, on his character. And he was this narcissist with a chip on his shoulder. And as a result, he did the many terrible things that he did. And the stranger, in this case, the shorter the person is, if they don't learn to manage the issues that emerge as a result of whatever deficiency they have, in this case, their short stature, they could descend in. It's a great test on a person if they are short, if they are um, if they you know lack some element of the appearance of ordinary people, if they're ugly, If whatever it is, you can you can describe. I, I don't want to go into the details of each and every deficiency that a human being can have. I think you can use your imagination. But unless you learn to manage that, you can turn into a para You can turn into a Napoleon. It is possible even for people who have no reason, have no psychiatric issues to allow themselves to fall into the trap of being like Paray was, and that's why Chazal felt the need to convey this Musr message about Paray. Do you know why he was so bad? He never learnt to control his um, feelings of, of his inferiority uh, in, in, in the face of the deficiency that he had, in that he was so much shorter than all the people around him. Let's continue. With, we've ended with that particular rabbit hole. Let's go back to the main text. And the main text now discusses, uh, let's discuss the um, phrasing of Vayivorech. What was the blessing that Yaakov Avinu gave? Now, some of the Mephoshim struggle to even um, conceive of the idea that Yaakov Avinu would have blessed Paray. But I'm not, I don't have such a problem with that. The fact is that Paray had done them a great favour. And blessing him with life and success would ensure the survival of the Jewish nation. And therefore, it makes perfect sense to me that Yaakov Avinu, in a show of HaKoros HaToiv, and of course, self-preservation, would have um, brought forth his blessings to Paray, both when he came in and when he left. But the Shadal, um, Shmul David Lutzata, who we've quoted in the past in our Shurim, has a much more um, ordinary explanation as to what it means he says and by the way he's not the only one but it's the shortest uh, um, version of this particular parish that i found which is why i'm going to read it to you whenever you have a greeting there is an element of blessing in it and he quotes the one that we use most often how do we greet each other as jews shalom shalom is a blessing. Peace is also the name of God. So when it says Vayavorech, when Yaakov came in, it means he said hi. He said hello. It was a greeting. Shalom Lecha. And when he left, says Shadal Vayavorech. He said goodbye. It was um, Drishat Shalom. It was was a greeting when he entered and a greeting where he left. And the reference to it in the Hebrew language is Vayavorech. And that doesn't mean that he gave him a full-on blessing. And that's of course why the Torah says the Shadal why the Torah doesn't actually mention the content of the blessing, because there was no content, it was a simple greeting. Let's now look at the Sforna, who's going to, the Sforna is going to delve into much greater detail with regard to the actual content of the conversation. This very strange exchange between Paroi and Yaakov. Paroi says to Yaakov, how old are you? And he says, I'm 130, but actually I've had a horrible life and I didn't reach the age of my parents. What are you what are you on about? What are you talking about? What's going on here? Why do we need to know this? What is the purpose of the Torah's record of this exchange? And actually, what was this exchange about? Because in order to know what the Torah wants to convey to us, what message is contained in this exchange, we really need to know what the exchange was about. What was Pare asking him? Was there some deeper meaning to this question? And what was the meaning of Yaakov's answer? So the Sphoranah says, I have here a translation. I'm just going to um, translate for you the Sphoranah. If you want to look at the original Loshna Kodesh, it's right there in source number six of your source sheet. Pharaoh was utterly amazed at Yaakov's age. They'd never seen people of that age in Egypt before. Why? Because the Egyptians apparently didn't have any life-prolonging ingredients. They didn't, they didn't know about longevity in Egypt at that time. People died young. And they may have lived full lives and had great lives, but they died young. Whatever the age was, whether it was 50 or 60 or 70, whatever it was, in those days it was considered ordinary old age. Uh, that was, but they didn't look that old when they died. And suddenly he sees in front of him this very, very old man, and he is shocked. He's never seen somebody that old before, so he immediately asks him, You look so old. How old are you?" And Yaakov answers as follows: Concerning your question, with regard to how many years old I am, I have to confess," says Yaakov Avinu that actually I'm quite young. Shocking, right? It's all a question of perspective. In Egypt, perhaps living to 70 was old, 130 was impossibly old. But to Yaakov, 130 wasn't old at all. Why? Because his parents had lived to a much older age. And the only reason I may appear old to you is I've aged faster than my parents because of all the troubles and tribulations that I have had to endure in my life. Days during which a person has major problems do not even count, actually, as years of his life. And he had another message here. He says, you know what? I may be 130, but I've spent so much of that time working so hard just to keep my head above water that it doesn't count as living. I may be the same age as you, actually, in life of years. You know, I had this fascinating story I heard once from the Rosh Hashiva of Itri, who I used to learn with, Rabbi Elephant. He told me the following story. One of um, Rabbi Shmuel Zalman Arbach's sons, he, was, he just passed away a year or two ago, Rabbi Shmuel Arbach was a Maggid Shir in Itri Yeshiva. And one day he invited his father, who was the, one of the Paiske one of the great halachic authorities of his time. He died in the early 1990s, but uh, throughout the 70s and 80s he was considered one of the great poiskim of Eretz Yisrael, he invited his father to give a shir in Itri, Itri is in Beit Safafa. it's just south of Talpiot and it's just north of Beit Lechem, and that's where Yeshiva's Itri is, and Rabbi Shlomo Zalman came, Rabbi Elephant was much younger than him, I would say that Rabbi Shlomo Zalman was born in around 1910, and I know that Rabbi Elephant was born in 1930, and um, Rabbi Shlomo Zalman Erbach came, and it was known that he would, um, he would like to, he, he was a person who wanted to sleep a full night. And Rabbi Elephant said to him, I know that you look very old, but you need to know something. I'm actually older than you, because I only sleep three hours a night, and you like to sleep six, seven hours a night. If you make a cheshban of all the hours that I've been awake... You'll discover that I've actually been awake for longer than you, even though I was born 20 years after. You know, all the Bokhrim laughed. But in this is contained exactly this idea of the Svarna about Yaakov Avinu that he was t- telling Parai. He says, I may appear old to you, but in terms of life that I've lived, I'm not old. Because the life that I've lived has been dominated by all the challenges I faced just to keep myself going. And therefore, the hours I've been able to devote, to spiritual growth, has been very, very limited. I'm actually much younger than I appear. And if you look at it, says the Svarano, my parents, this is what Yaakov Avinu is telling Pare, my father, my mother, my grandfather, my grandmother, they lived much longer lives than I did because they managed to devote much more time of their lives to spiritual pursuits. And therefore, I have never reached... What they've reached and I never will. That was the message that the foreigner believes is contained in this exchange. That as far as fare, Pare was concerned, all he saw was a very old man. and He was very impressed that somebody could live to such an old age. And Yaakov Avinu was making this differentiation between Yomim and Shonim that we've spoken about so many times in the past. There are years of your life, if you just look at things in terms of numbers, in years of your life, you're right, you're absolutely right. In the years of my life, I have not lived, uh, I have lived much longer than the people you know. But in the days of my life, the way I've spent my days, I've not actually spent my days in the type of pursuits that would have meant that my life has been long. And therefore we Wish people. When we wish them a long life, we, we, we wish them not just arichas shonim, we, we, we wish them arichas yomim v'shonim. We want them to have a long life, but every day should count, should count towards their spiritual growth. And that is the message, says the Svarna, contained in this powerful exchange between Paroi and Yaakov Avinu. Now we're going to look at the last piece which I have, which is quite a long piece, I hope to finish it which is um, a piece by Rabbi David Braverman, who is a Maggid um, shir, a Magid lecturer at Arachim in Israel, and he publishes regularly, he puts together beautiful pieces on the Parsha, and I have here a piece on the Parsha from Rabbi David Braverman. And he wants to know, why was Yaakov punished? And you're going to see in a minute what that's about. What does he mean when he says Yaakov was punished? First, let's. Look. I'm going to read through it. It's in the Hebrew. I'll translate it as I'm going through it. The Torah tells us in this week's parsha, tells us about the conversation between Yaakov Avinu Merach and Paroi, the King of Egypt. It's going to. It describes to us in very short. In a very short way, in a very few words, it summarizes the conversation between Yaakov, Jacob, and Parai. Yesh We need to understand this psharishal al there. what this meeting is all about. We need to understand it. Parai begiloy shel Yaakov avino. Why exactly is Parai interested in Yaakov's age? It seems like a very mundane, a silly question to ask somebody. This is the great sage of the Hebrews. This is the father of the great leader of Egypt, the political leader of Egypt, Yosef. This is the opportunity for Parai to exchange, to have conversation, to engage with Yaakov. And he asks him such a silly question. How old are you? What's that about? And in Yaakov's answer, we see that he answers something which is much more than the question he was asked. The reply that he gives contains much more information, as we said earlier. He talks about all the difficulties that he had in his life in comparison with the lives of his forebears. Why? Why is he giving this information to Pare? Why would he think that Pareh is interested and much more importantly, What exactly is the Torah teaching us? By recounting the details, however sketchy they are, of this seemingly superficial, unimportant meeting, encounter between Yaakov and Pare. What does the Torah want from us? And he now quotes the Ramban who talks about this very parsha, this little piece, this vignette in the Torah. I don't understand this. Our elder, our forefather, our patriarch. What exactly is he trying to convey in terms of a moral message? Why is he giving over this information that I didn't reach, whatever that means, to the um, years of my father. The How does he know at the age of 130 that he won't live till 175 or 180? 175 was the age of Avram Abinu. 180 was the age of Yitzchok. How does he know he won't reach their age? What evidence does he have? He says, he can say, I haven't reached it, but I, will, I hope to reach it. I'm not quite there yet. He doesn't say that. His, he seems to be saying, I will never reach it. Well, how does he know? The Ramban says, he asks a very good question. What evidence did Yaakov Avinu have that that wouldn't happen? The nireli. It would appear to me, says the Ramban, that actually Yaakov Avinu appeared to be very, very old. Much older, perhaps, than he should have appeared at 130. I don't know how people are meant to look at 130. You know, but you can generally judge from... Seeing somebody, whether they're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, you could say somebody's roughly 60, somebody's roughly 80, somebody's, if somebody's 100, they really look very old. You can tell from their physical appearance, the way they move themselves, whatever it is. Yaakov Avinu looked much older than one should have looked at 130. And I think that was something that he was conscious of, says the Ramban. <laughs> So he yeah, Pare was stunned by Yaakov's appearance. He'd never seen someone who looked quite that old. Now he's saying something slightly different to what we heard earlier. He's not saying that no one in Egypt reached old age. What he's saying is that Parry had never actually encountered somebody who looked quite as old as Yaakov. He didn't know how old he was. But you know, perhaps he thought, like people maybe to reach the age of 70, 80 in Egypt. Well, if he's seventy or eighty, he looks much older than any seventy or eighty-year-old I've ever seen. Uh, From Yaakov's perspective, his his um, barometer, his scale was the way his parents appeared, and I imagine that at the age of one hundred and thirty, Avram Avinu didn't look like Yaakov Avinu looked at looked like when he was one hundred and thirty. So there was a discrepancy, but from different angles. From Paride's angle was the discrepancy of aged people, the way they appeared. In Egypt, and from Yaakov's perspective, it was the way he he related to the way his father and grandfather had looked at his age. But this is what prompted the question. This is going to be a key point. What prompted the question was the appearance that Yaakov had, that he looked so old. I've never seen an old person who looks like you in my entire kingdom or in my entire reign. Immediately Yaakov answered, says the Ramban, I'm 130 wa v'alitame bahem kima at heim keneget neus a voice of avom yais awami yaisam rain ba amma wa ankha zarkawais ba ankha ba amma wa ankha zarkawais ba saver So he says, don't be surprised the fact that I'm 113, look this old. Actually, I'm a bit surprised I look that old. But the fact is, I can explain it. My parents, my father, my grandfather didn't look that old when they were this old. And even though you've never seen it doesn't mean that that doesn't happen. You just never experienced it. You've never come across somebody as old as me now. Now. Having said that, said Yaakov Avinu, let me explain to you why I look so, so old. Because I myself am surprised I look this old at my age. I should look much younger. But the fact is, I've been through a very difficult life. I've had um, problems. I've had challenges. I've had people chasing me, wanting to kill me. I've lost my child. I've had my daughter kidnapped. I've I've been struggling. I've went from place to place. All the different things that went through his life. And therefore, in explanation as to his appearance... Yaakov Avinu explained why he looked so old. Muvena MK says, Rabbi Braverman, it now understood HaTosef HaShosif Yaakov Avinu aksheichayev, Now we understand why Yaakov Avinu added details as to why his life was so difficult. He was trying to put into context his appearance as to why he looked so old. Ach, yesh ma sheyesh mesiach zeh. But we still need to understand why it's important for the Torah to have conveyed this conversation to us. Okay, so that's by way of introduction. Okay, now the Darzakenim, the Darzakenim, the one of the Rishonim that looks at the uh, the Parsha and it's the medieval rabbis from France and Germany uh, who. Uh, have collected together all their thoughts on the Torah, the Tazekhem. It's an incredible, an incredible source of information. One of the great Meforishim on the Torah says as follows: quotes a Medrash. It's actually a bracious Rabba, the Medrash Rabba um, number. Uh, it's in Tzadihei. You can look it up. The Medrash says there is a great criticism of Yaakov Avinu, that God had on what Yaakov Avinu said to Paray. God wasn't happy. God was not happy with Yaakov Avinu, that he responded in this way a a claim, a criticism for which he was punished. Hunenash. medrash. And this is what the medrash says. This is a direct quote of the medrash that the Darsa Canaan brings down. At That moment when Yaakov Avinu said, my life was pretty bad. Um, God said in response, I saved you from Esau. What are you talking about? And I saved you from Lavan. You're complaining that Dina was kidnapped? I returned her. She is back. She's alive. All the people who kidnapped her are dead. Yosef, Yosef was kidnapped away from you for 22 years? Look, he's with you now. He's the he's the ruler of Egypt. All the things that you said that are bad in your life, they're not so bad because they were all remedied. And you're now saying that your life wasn't long enough and it was bad. What are you talking about? God was a bit upset. As a result of what you've said, all the words contained from Va'yomer, from where it says that Paray began speaking to Yaakov, to to Yemei Mugureim at the end of the next pasuk, all every single word kach you're going to lose a year for every single word of those two psukim. You're not going to live as long as your father Yitzhak. He lived for 180 years and you're going to live for 180 minus the number of words in these two psukim. How many words in those two psukim? You don't have to be a great mathematician to work it out. We know that Yaakov Avinu lived till he was 147. It's right there in the parasha, and therefore we know that are 33 33 words in these two psukim. It's that's exactly right. Um, uh, because these these Psukim have thirty three words, therefore you're going to lose thirty three years. That is a medrash embracius rabba, powerful stuff. Yaakov Avinu, you should know better than to complain. You complained, your Yaakov Avinu, you lose thirty three years. Wow, he would have lived till he was one hundred and eighty had he not had this conversation with Parai. So now, first of all is some sense that this conversation is recorded, because we may have had a question at the end of Vayechi, why did Yaakov Ovinu live shorter than his father? He should have at least lived to the age of his father. Perhaps we might have had a question why he didn't live as long as his grandfather, but certainly he should have lived as long as his grandfather or father, and he lived only till the age of 147. That might have puzzled us. We have the answer right here. That's why this is recorded. Perhaps that's what the Medrash wants to tell us. That these two psukim are there to tell you that these 33 words are a uh, uh, to be subst- um, subtracted from the length of the life of Yaakov Avinu. He was meant to live 180, lives 147. 180 minus 33 is 147. He now goes off and we're going to come back to this question, but he goes off to talk about Yudua She'elois Moran Hagrach Shmulevitz. Reb Chaim Shmulevitz, was Rosh Hashivah of Mir in also used to give Divrei Musar, very often related to the Parshis of the Torah, and he asks three questions with regard to this episode. He says as follows, Madua Chazal Moinim Gam Es gimel It's a very good question. How many psukim did we include the 33 words in? Two, right? Well, the first Posuk actually has got nothing to do with what Yaakov Avinu says. The first Posuk was the question that Pare asked. Why would Yaakov Avinu be punished for the question that Parai asked? We should remove how many letters, how many words do we have in that Posuk? I'll tell you right now. Vayomer um, Parai El Yaakov. One, two, three, four. Kama Yemei Shnei That's eight. So 33 minus minus. Eight is 25, so he should have lived for 155 years, not for 147, because that first posuk has got nothing to do with something that he said. Why would he be punished for the fact that Pare asked him a question? That doesn't seem right, says Rabchaim Shmalevitz. That's question number one. What's the second question? <laughs> Why was he punished with such a powerful, such a devastating punishment? Bavu Kolmila, Yordosh, and For every single word he's going to lose one year of his life? That sounds excessive, to say the least, says Reb Chaim Shmulevitz. It's not fair that he should have lost a year of his life for every single word in that posuk. That's the second question. And then we have the third question. She'elas he shel Yaakov what did Yaakov Avinu say when he was complaining? Says Reb Chaim Shulevitz, that's the most puzzling thing of all. Ma'at v'roim, few and bad. Haloy d'varim eilu l'ch'oyra soysrim es d'varob b'parshas v'ayechi. Yeah, this is a good one. This one is going to knock you out. This question is going to have you really puzzled. Do you remember Yaakov Avinu, I mean, we have to go back to last year v'ayechi for that. But I'm sure you've learnt Vayechi and you're going to know the Possek I'm going to quote you. Do you remember that Yaakov Avinu blessed Ephraim and Manasseh? the beginning of Vayechi? What does he say to them? Speaking about the wonderful life he's had. He's 147 years old and his life is slowly ebbing away. He's about to die. And Yosef brings his children to be blessed. And he says to his children, I've had the most wonderful life. I've been saved from every bad, anything bad, nothing bad's happened to me. I've had a wonderful life. One second. Is this the same Yaakov of Vinu who says, Ma'at V'roim to Paroi? That his life was short and difficult? How is it possible that the same Yaakov who spoke to Paroi and said Ma'at V'roim, would say HaMaloch to Ephraim and Which is it? Bad and terrible? Or is it brilliant and wonderful and God helped him? Good question. I think you'll agree. It's a wonderful, strong, powerful question. It's the question of Rab Chaim Shmulevitz. He says as follows. Unbelievable. He has nothing but good things to say about the life he's led. How wonderful, how lucky, how amazing, how beautiful, how perfect. Any bad that's happened to me, I've been saved. So what's going on? That's the question of Reb Chaim Shmulevitz. Reb Chaim Shmulevitz answers his question as follows. Listen carefully. Beautiful stuff. Chazal have revealed to us despite all the terrible things that had happened to him throughout his life all the incredible challenges that he'd had to endure and face during the course of his long and difficult life it was a roller coaster he ran away from Aesop. He he was going to be killed Lovon tried to outdo him and outsmart him wherever he went he had to run away and he had problems and Yosef was taken away from him he'd had a horrible difficult challenging life despite that that in and of itself was bad but then when he said that's a whole new level people can go through life and have difficult challenges and they never say they never complain They don't say, oh, my life is so bad. They just have a bad life. But suddenly, with one flash, you can, like, you draw back the curtain on everything that's happened in your life. You say, That changes everything. And for every word of that complaint, you're going to lose a year of your life. It's almost as if you've you've lifted up the, um, you know, the rock, and you've seen what's underneath. If you don't lift up the rock, you won't know what's underneath. You just go with the flow. When you lift up the rock, it takes on a whole new level of badness. All the bad that you've had in your life is suddenly defined as bad and difficult and horrible. You wish you wouldn't have had to experience it. And this comes to the crux of the matter. As to why the first posuk is used. Why those eight words are used as part of the number 33 that were removed. The years that were removed from Yaakov's life. Why did Pare ask the question? He saw a man walking into his throne room. Into his inner sanctum. Who looked like he had the weight of, his, of the world on his shoulders. He looked like he'd had a horrible life. He looked so old. And so pained as if nothing right had ever happened in his life. He wasn't smiling he wasn't positive he walked in and he looked like an old, old man and what's the first reaction if you see somebody who's going through such suffering what's wrong? Is everything okay? Is everything alright? He looked so old so Paré said to him, why do you look so old? What's wrong? Why, Why do you look as if the weight of the world is on your shoulders. That was Pares' question. Mishum Shep he Zikno Mufleges. Because Yaakov's face just conveyed this incredible age that not age in terms of age as in how old he was, but as in I just can't anymore. It's just too much for me. There's a Garam Ben but that Paris suddenly wants to know how old are you? Somebody, I've never seen somebody look so old as been through so much. How old are you? Do you know why Yaakov was punished? Or why this, this aspect of what he said was so important? It was because Yaakov Avinu had conveyed that image. Had he not, had he walked in with a strength with his head held up high and try to look as young as possible in the face of all the difficulties, in the midst of all the difficulties, Pare would never have asked him the question. Pare only asked him because of the way he looked and the way he answered confirmed that Pare was correct. Had he not felt the Ma'at as he walked in, then that feeling wouldn't have been evident to paray so that he asked the question and that's why the question of paray is included in the number 33 you know the the mishnah says in bruchus the same way as we make a blessing on good we have to make a blessing on bad by the way it works both ways the same as we make a blessing on bad we have to make a blessing on good what does it mean It means that everything has to be equal in our eyes. We have to see everything as an equal experience. That there's no such thing as bad. You know the famous story, I've said it so many times, that the rabbi in the town where Abzusha lived sent the bochum of the yeshiva to ask Abzusha about this Mishnah. And they came into Abzusha, who was a very poor and very sick man, and they said to Abzusha, how do you explain this idea that you're meant to make a blessing on bad just the same as you make it on good? What, are you, what, is, what is the meaning of such a Mishnah? One is good and one is bad. How can you do the same thing? And Rabzusha looked at them he said, you know, I've always had this question myself because nothing bad has ever happened to me. They looked around and they saw this man who was so sick and bent over and living in a horrible circumstance in some hovel at the edge of town. And They thought to themselves, you know what, that's exactly the answer. Because if you look at every experience as a positive experience, then it doesn't matter how bad it may appear to someone from the outside, it's not really bad because they look at your face and they see you're happy, you're content. Contentment is a better word than happy. People who are content, who recognize that their existence is their existence and that's what God wants for them, that's what God wants from them says rabbi bravaman dvorim Elo adain loyem yashun es astira yakub ebrechos we still don't understand how this helps us with the um uh, the contradiction between what he said to paroi and how he blessed ephraim and manashe nere loyma she is lachanek chalek Hasiach hasiyach shoy beno levin paroi levin ha shebirech es nechodov you know what there's a difference when you're speaking to paroi and when you're speaking to your grandchildren. It's a big difference. Yaakov Avinu made this differentiation because he realized when he when this great spiritual person meets the most materialistic person on the planet, there's a great difference. And when he meets his children, there's a big difference between the way the world is understood between a Paroi and an Ephraim, a Menashe. What's Chaim Tovim? How do we understand the definition of Chaim Tovim, a good life, a bad life? And Yaakov Avinu answered Paroi's question according to Paroi. And he answered Ephraimah Menashe or spoke to Ephraimah Menashe in, in the way that he had to speak to them as their grandfather. He made a mistake, as it turned out. He should have spoken to, even to Paray, like he spoke to Ephraimah Menashe. But he had this sense that the question that, that he was being asked by Paray was about materialistic life. And his materialistic life, his physical existence in this world had been very tough, and that's how he answered he said, on the basis of your question, how come I'm this old? I'll explain to you how, how come I'm this old. Because I've had a tough life. But when it comes to teaching his grandchildren, his grandchildren is There's no bad that's happened in my life that is so bad that I don't understand that it taught me and built me and created me and formed me into the person that I became. And that is the powerful Jewish message here. That... There is a non-Jewish, or a non-faith way of looking at life, which is a pare way. You look so old. You look as if you've had it. That's a pare way of looking at life. And Yaakov Avinu perhaps shouldn't have engaged with pare on those terms. But then there is a hamaloch hagoyel oisi mikolra way of looking at life. That's the faith way of looking at life. doesn't matter what you go through. doesn't matter the challenges you experience. It doesn't matter how difficult your life may be. Ultimately, it's a learning curve. It's helping you become the person that you become, being better at what you are and doing better in every aspect of your existence. And with that, we'll leave it. Thank you so much.